Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. I'm in a period of emotional upheaval. Let's have all the, oh, I don't care crap. A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm going to steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Terramont Plus. Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. Comedian Adam Ferreira cracks up the Arlington Cinema and Draft House in Virginia this Friday and Saturday. We spoke ahead of his 2017 gigs at the DC Improv, hearing stories of his stand-up career and memories of Rescue Me and Nurse Jackie. Adam, thanks so much for, for calling in. Thanks for having me, Jason. Good to talk to you. I'm always looking forward to coming back to D.C. I've been doing this for a long time, and it's one of my favorite cities because you can see things there that you – and it's not, just, it's not just the monuments and see the democracy. Last time I was there, I saw diplomatic plates on a Honda Civic. <laughs> I, I don't know what kind of broke-ass country that was, but that just made me laugh out loud. <laughs> that sums up America right there. <laughs> right there. Hey, you like coming here. We love having you here. So h- how many times have you done the, the DC Improv before? Uh, I've been doing this, uh, wow, I've been doing this since I started. Uh, I started um, doing stand-up July 13th, 1988. And I remember uh, the DC Improv was, uh, was, I was very eager to get there because it's one of the most prestigious clubs in the country. It still is, and I still love working there. So a long, long time, Jason. It's nice to come back. How how was DC? Uh, not only the comedy scene, but the the you know the the plates on the cars, like you're talking about. Just DC in general in the late '80s compared to now. Uh, well, it's 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 funny because I was I was a lot different. It's a lot smaller now, I guess. You know, when you're when you're younger, things seem a lot bigger. Right. And uh, you know, like my father's presence. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I remember when I was a kid. It's like you know when when, when as my dad was my hero, and, and he still is. And he, he's passed away, but he was never scared of anything. But then, when at, at the end of it, uh, at the end of his life, he remember him telling me, he's like, "Don't put me in the ground. There's like worms and stuff down there." I'm like, "Pop, I'm not going to throw you on the side of the highway like a dead witness, okay? I will, I'll, sil- I'll silicone the box and screw it shut." You know what he did, Jason? He bought a crypt because he didn't want to be in the ground. Wow. He showed me, he showed me a picture of this thing. I was like, "What are you, a Romanian duke?" He's like, no, it's above ground, it's waterproof. This is where your mother and I are going to rest in peace. Rest in peace? You don't get along in a four-bedroom house. You're going to spend eternity in this concrete bunker with mom? You know what that's going to be like? <laughs> oh, man. My I... mother's convinced. My father passed away. My, mother's, my mother is convinced that my father's a ghost. My father's ghost is in the house, and my father's ghost isn't talking to her because he's upset with her. <laughs> so the bickering continues even in the afterlife? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not kidding. I, I call my mother every weekend at halftime. I go, Ma, how you doing? I'm well. I think your father's okay. He's still not talking to me. He's in the other room pouting because he thinks I'm going to apologize first. I'm not the one who died on me, Joe. <laughs> and they just, I mean, if my father was a ghost, he would come right through the wall. He would be like, Father, you're a ghost. Yeah, boo, boo, boo. I'm like, Have you come to show me my path in life? No, I've come to show you the thermostat that's up to 78 degrees. I've been dead a week. You're just burning my money up, aren't you? (laughs) 
Man, I see, but that's great. Well, I'm so sorry for your loss, but I'm I'm really glad that you know you could you, you can sort of you know laugh along with it and get some because that right there was a funny little bit. I'm glad you mined some material out of it. It's awesome. Um, what yep. what sort of stuff? Um, I, I, God, doing like little stand up previews are tricky because I never want to spoil your guys' material and your punchlines. But like maybe how do we? What, well, we sort, could, what, what we, sort of topics do we go into at the improv? Basically, I take my life, I put it through a blender. I look at it this way: I've suffered for my art. Now it's the audience's turn. <laughs> we'll, suffer, I, uh, we'll suffer for you. Yeah. Well, it's, it's that, that's the nice thing about, about doing stand-up is you can find something in your life that connects to somebody else. And if you can make it funny, it's, it's, a, nice, it's a nice connecting moment with the audience. So you just want to, you just want to be able to, uh, to take a truth and make it reach out to, uh, to other people. It's like, you know, I, got, I get depressed. Uh, and I was, when, you, when you get depressed, they, you have to do different things to get out of it. And I, I've gotten some help from, like, my wife always said, exercise helps. And, I'll, you know, I'll be honest with you, Jason. I'll, I'll start the day with good intentions. I'll spend the entire day in my gym clothes. <laughs> That's half the battle. <laughs> yeah. She came on the other day. I was asleep on the couch. And she's like, are you laying on the couch in those sweaty clothes? I'm like, relax. They're clean. I never made it, honey. It's fine. <laughs> the treadmill never even moved. Never moved. But that's the thing, you know. If you if you can if you can uh, if you can um, articulate a truth and make people laugh, it kind of diffuses it a little bit. I remember when I was a kid, Richard Pryor was an idol of mine. Yeah. And I remember, I think it was Pryor Convictions, the book I read, and he said uh, he goes he, he writes what scares him. He looks exactly at what scares him and writes about that. It takes it takes the claws out of the monster a little bit. So what's and I've always remembered that. What scares you? Well, I wrote about my dad dying because, um, yeah. you know, it's inevitable. You know, yeah. so it was like the uh, the uh, that that was a big fear for me, and uh, um, and uh, so when I started writing about it, it kind of diffused everything. And uh, and I see people after my show when they come up and say hello, it's you know, thank you. I needed to hear that. You know, this happened to me, and it just it, it's like it's, it's it's like a common experience that 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 I'm articulating that gives them permission to to go there as well. It's like when you, if you if you want to get a bunch of guys around, just lift the hood of the car. Right, <laughs> a bunch of guys exactly. just show up, look at the engine. You don't have to know what's going on. You just look you look down and you hum. Mm. Mm, mm, mm. You, it, it, it's, it's like the bat signal. Yeah, you act like you know what's going on. Well, but that's why we come to your shows, like as as fans. It's because we you scare us, so we face our fear and come see you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's a weird. Thing. That's what I never understood. Public speaking. You know, I guess it's just it's, it's the way you built. Public speaking is a big fear for most people. Right. For me, not so much. You know, for me that that that's not really. Uh, I, I'm I'm kind of like built to do it. So. Right. Um, that that that's that that's one of the things I've noticed when people go, "How do you do that?" I'm like, let's be honest, I'm not qualified to do anything else. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, right now you're public speaking, but in a different way. It's on the radio ways. So we can't see you, so you don't have to worry about it. you. You literally could be in your underwear. The old nightmare could actually be happening right now. <laughs> yeah, nobody wants to see that. I've, I've seen me naked, Jason, and from the waist up, I'm not impressed at all. <laughs> well, the waist up, yeah, exactly. So when you're do, so you're doing three nights at the the Improv, um, and yes. and ser- I think a couple of those nights are have several different shows, like two shows a night, right? Um, yeah, it's two Friday, two Saturday. Right, right. So when you do three nights in a row like that, um, do you do you have to alter the material slightly, or do you just keep giving them what they came for? No, you, I, I change things around uh, well, for two reasons. One, people come back to see me a lot, and I'm very grateful for the audience that keeps coming back. So you want to keep it fresh for them, and you want to keep it fresh for you. Um, there's a lot of, I do a lot of improv on my show only because it's, uh, it, it, it puts everybody in the state of becoming, and we're in the space together. So uh, it's that kind of uh, 
yeah, I guess the artistic danger, if you want to give it a fancy name, but it's that kind of uh, that kind of uh, uh, place to be that that makes it exciting for everybody and keeps me interested as well. I like that artistic danger. There, there you go. That's like an autobiography title. There we go. Um, who yeah. else? Who else? Uh, I think you got some other comedians there featured on stage. Andy Klein, Frankie French. Know anything about these guys? Uh, no, I'm looking forward to meeting them when I come uh, when I come into town. Uh, that's the nice thing about Allison. She runs a great club, and it's always a good show. She knows how to put a show together because she's been doing this for years. I mean, like I said, the improv is is well, this is one of the top uh, clubs in the country. So I always look forward to seeing it on the calendar. That's awesome. You mentioned uh, how you were a fan of Richard Pryor growing up, uh, you know, and I think this was Huntington Station, New York. Uh, what other stand yeah. What other stand ups did you did you admire back then as as a kid? Well, back then it was like you know that was the, the, the prize to have was the comedy albums under the bed, and I had uh, I had Pryor was huge, Carlin was huge. Um, Robert Klein, um, my, uh, my father, someone, someone, I found an old album, Mel Brooks and Carl Reiner, the 2000 year old man. Oh, yeah. That was really great. And Casablanca records, Casablanca records that had kiss and it was a disco label in the seventies, but they also had, they also had kiss was on Casablanca and they did, they did a, uh, an album of the tonight show that was terrible. It was just, it was just, they just took the audio from The Tonight Show and put it on an album. And for some reason, I found that too. But Buddy Hackett was on there. And Buddy Hackett, my father loved Buddy Hackett. And uh, I got to hear uh, his, his rhythm and his timing and Don Rickles too. Don Rickles was all rhythm. If you listen to what he's saying, it really doesn't make any sense. But the rhythm is just perfect. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess subconsciously on some level, that stuff uh, seeped into my uh, Deep into my psyche, but Pryor was my big was was big for me because he he could make you feel emotionally. He could just he moved the room. I remember when I was a kid, I saw the Santa Monica concert, which was the one where uh, Patti LaBelle opened for him. He didn't have an introduction. He just walked in and grabbed the microphone and started talking. <laughs> and I remember I was twelve years old, and I remember saying out loud, "Look what this man can do." I mean, he had that whole bit about just a black guy and a white guy, the difference of, of a black guy and a white guy walking in the woods and seeing a snake. And he's not using any words. And he's just, and the audience is just, he's holding these people with his hand. And I was, I didn't know I wanted to be a stand-up, but I was profoundly moved by the power that, that, uh, that, he, uh, that he possessed. Yeah, absolutely. Well, one of a kind, man. Um, well, all those guys yeah. you mentioned, just legends. Um, so, so those are the people that you're that you you know you're you're admiring and enjoying growing up. But what makes you actually you know pull the lever, pull the trigger, and say you know I'm going to actually do my first gig? Um, well, I got out of college and I told my parents, "Well, we've done one of your things. Now I'm going <laughs> to try one of mine." <laughs> and I went, I went down to an open mic night on uh, uh on Long Island where I'm from, and. Um, it was one of those moments where, you know when you hit a golf ball right, you get that ping? No, like, I've, I've actually never hit a golf ball right. <laughs> well, it's coming. All right. Just the, the odds alone is you're going to have to hit it right if you keep hitting it wrong for all these years. That's but true. When, when you hit it, when you, I got, just got that ping, I'm like, look, I don't know where this is going to go, but I want to come back and do this again. It was like it was that familiar feeling. Like, oh, okay, I belong here. I don't know how long. I don't know, you know what this is going to teach me or – what's going to happen but for right now i belong here so i just went to the next step i go what's the next thing to do and i went back to another open mic and i just kept going and i've been doing this for like 30 years so it still could just be a phase jason my mother thinks it yeah well you're just perfecting your you're, you're just at the driving range you're still you're and you're teeing up questions for me so it's great so what are, are, are we so what is that next step then do you do you just start moving you know uh, move a little little into new york city then out of long island and, and start doing gigs there yeah, what happened was I was on Long Island. I was doing gigs, and the city was 
there was a definite difference between um, between a city comic and an island comic. You know, at that point, your uh, uh, Long Island comics were very animated. We would tell stories, we would do voices, we would use the entire stage, we'd walk around. City comics were suit and tie comics, we would call them. They were Tonight Show comics. It was uh, set up, punchline, segue, set up, punchline, and they would stand right in front of the microphone, and that was it. Mm -hmm. um, they were more cerebral. Um, and <laughs> there's a story. I heard the story, I think I either heard it from Brian Regan or Dennis Regan, but the story was uh, there was a club in Yonkers called Shooting Stars, and Friday Late Show, there was a city comic on stage, and they were just ripping him apart. They were just heckling him. He couldn't get a laugh, and finally he just snapped. And he goes, listen, I don't need you guys to laugh. I know this stuff is funny. I've done it on TV. And from the back of the room, you heard, he's wounded. Let's get him. <laughs> they smell blood in the water. Yeah. Uh, it was, uh, that was, the next step was to get into the city. And I didn't go for a, a long time because I knew that uh, you wanted to make a good first impression. So you wanted to be... Uh, I wanted to be as, as strong as I could, so I worked a lot of the the, the bars and stuff because um, bar owners found out that comedy was cheap to produce. So every night had a comedy club, uh, had a comedy show. So it was like you know two, Tuesday nights Jello shots, Wednesday night comedy. So you work in these these bars in Connecticut and Jersey, but just to get some seat time, you know. Right, right. So it was. Uh, it's uh, that. That's how I built it up, and luckily I had a good, good showing in the city, and, be and began to work those clubs. And then I started uh, acting, and and uh, that's how uh, all that stuff progressed. I love that story. He's wounded. Let's get him. Did you? <laughs> yeah. This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader this station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Did you, uh, what about, what about for you? Did you ever have, well, I guess, A, a night that you specifically remember just totally bombing, and B, one that you think you particularly killed it somewhere along the way? Do any stand out as the superlatives? Oh, yeah. I, uh, the worst gig you can get is opening for a band. <laughs> opening for a band is because they don't want to see you, you're in the way. Right. Opening for a band, and, uh, and some, some corporate gigs can be terrible because they, you know, they, it's an away game for you. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know why you're there. They don't know how to put on a show. Right. So I opened for, uh, uh, I had, a, I had a, a gig at the Fountain Blue Hotel in, in Miami for cancer doctors. Um, and they were, I, I went on in the middle of the bill. 
And the guy introducing me was a doctor. He didn't know how to do it. He's on stage talking about, you know, I don't know what they're talking about, but he's got two slides on stage of two cells, and he's pointing to the two cells. He's like, benign, malignant, benign, malignant. Remember, there's still no cure. We have to keep working hard. Our comedian's Adam Ferrara. And he walks on stage. <laughs> That's a setup. <laughs> yeah, and I'm standing there with the two cells, and i got to go do my act, and they, they don't know what's going on. It's, so, wow. Yeah. So your, your set, was it benign or malignant? <laughs> I got him after a while. It yeah. started out malignant, but thank God the, the laughter cured everything, yeah. and, I, and I ended up getting them. But, yeah, that was a terrible gig, and I opened for Lionel Richie at the, uh, the Greek Theater here in, uh, here in California. And the Greek it's an amphitheater, so there's no roof. Right. Comedy needs a roof, Jason. The laughs have to bounce off somewhere. They just go straight up. You can't so blow you the roof off. You can't blow the roof off. Yeah. If you... <laughs> Nothing. So I'm standing there, and it's, it's, I'm on stage, and there's people milling around. and it's, 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 I don't think it's going well because they can't hear anything. But I did my 20 minutes. I walked off stage, and uh, the band was, was standing next to me. Lionel's band was in the wings. And Sheila E. was in the band at the time. And there was this giant bass player. And they were smiling. Like, I thought I died. And they came over and <laughs> the giant bass player said to me, he goes, you did great. Usually we stand here just to watch these guys die. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you didn't die. That's great. Um, okay, awesome. So from there, I think you've done about, what, uh, three Comedy Central specials? I think that's right? Oh, uh, yeah, I got about three of those. I just uh, A couple albums. In fact, I just finished another album. Um, I got a. Uh, I just finished a movie with um, Emma Roberts and uh, Hayden Christensen called Little Italy. Uh, it'll be out early, I think, early next year. But that was a lot of fun. We were in Toronto for about uh, for about six weeks shooting that movie. And um, Danny Aiello was in it. Um, Andrew oh, wow. Martin played my mother. She was so sweet, and uh, it was really a really a good time. That's so great. Yeah, and I'm thinking, um, I, the, I think it was the Funny as Hell uh, set you did. Uh, DC Improv had a clip of that up on their website, and, and it was the, yeah. the couples therapy part where he said, I love you, but I just oh, don't yeah. care. <laughs> yeah. I've been to a lot of therapy. I mean, I've been, I, you know, I went, I went to my own therapy, too, because apparently I'm the problem, Jason. Well, of course. Yeah, so, it's, and, and it's, it's the amazing thing about it is you're never far from your roots. I mean, it's. I'm such an Italian. My my buddy picks me up after the therapy session. He's like, "How'd it go with the shrink?" I'm like, "He didn't get nothing out of me." Oh, you Tony Soprano at the shrink. <laughs> I love my mother. I'm not gonna roll on her for God's sake. Yeah, exactly. That's great. But uh, but the couples therapy didn't. You've you've brought your uh your wife into some stuff, right? The beautiful she devil. <laughs> yes, my my wife. That's my wife on the cover. Of that. Yeah, she's uh, she, she's the best part of my life, and she's the one that keeps it going, and she's the one that can actually. She can actually see the road ahead a little bit better than me, so uh, yeah. it, it's nice to have a, a partner in crime. And you're Catholic, and she's Jewish, so that's like food, family, and guilt. You said, "Yeah, food, <laughs> family, and guilt." <laughs> it's pretty much the values are pretty much the same. You know, it's like I, I think I said in the special that in her family, the guilt's better. My family, the food's better. <laughs> that's great. Well, you've sort of we've we've talked a lot about your stand-up, but you you alluded a little to your acting gigs too. Um, a lot of us remember you as Needles in uh, Rescue Me on FX. Uh, yes. Memories of that, like uh, what, what's Dennis Leary like? You know, I mean, we all know him from on screen, but what's he like behind the scenes? He's pretty much that guy. I mean, it's there's not a lot of uh, there, there's not a lot of a uh, veil of pretense with with Dennis. I mean, I've known him for geez, it's got to be almost twenty five years now. And he's that guy, you know, he's, uh, in fact, the, uh, on Rescue Me, we did another show before that called The Job, which was a cop show, and that's where we all kind of met. And, oh, yeah. And on that show and, and on Rescue Me, Dennis's trailer was the barracks. 
we all hung out in the barracks. So it was very much a, a family situation, and he had an open-door policy, and uh, ESPN was always on during, uh, uh, so we'd sit around and just sit there and smoke and, and watch TV and, and, and make the TV show. It was funny because the smoke would just be billowing out of his trail. It looked like we elected a pope. The smoke was billowing out. <laughs> the black smoke or the white smoke? Is it benign or malignant? Yeah. Look for the smoke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But that was, you know, he, he's that guy. He's very much, and all the work he does with the firefighters, he's, uh, yeah. he, he's, he's a good leader. Uh, and I learned a great deal. And he's, he's given me a lot of opportunities. He was the first one to give me uh, a great dramatic monologue. And uh, I got a couple of those on Rescue Me. And, and uh, he did a really cool thing after my first one. He left me a, a voicemail. Uh, about he goes, hey, I gave you the ball and you knocked it out of the park, and that was really, really special to me to get that from him. And I'll deny, I'll deny that I said this, but I love that big skinny dope. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we've been laughing a lot on this interview, but and, and rightfully so. It's an improv interview, but a DC improv interview. But but just uh, one serious question for a second with Rescue Me. I mean, talk about. I mean, I honestly think that show it went it ran from '04 to 2011 in in an odd way. It, it helped it helped it helped us as a country to to kind of move on after 9/11. I really do think so. Yeah, it's uh, it, it he again he attacked. Uh, he attacked, for lack of a better word, the fear, or he, he went, he, he looked the monster in the eye, you know, and that's, uh, that was, uh, it was nice to be a part of that and be asked to, to be included in that and, uh, and to serve a, a greater purpose. I, I think we just, we came into it, um, and Dennis wrote everything, and I think him and Peter Tolan and uh, Evan Riley and I think John Scurry wrote a couple episodes too. Um, they, they weren't afraid to address um, certain subjects and trust the actors to, to emotionally be where, uh, they needed to be to tell the story, so it was very. Um, it was, I, I'm very grateful to be uh, to be a part of that. Absolutely, and and after that TV role, you you get you, more start coming your way. Frank Varelli and Nurse Jackie. Uh, <laughs> yeah, she's uh, she was great. She's she's just so authentic and so generous as an actor. I mean, I met her, and you know, you, you know her as 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 Carmela, but then when you walk in a room, she, it's not her at all. It's just it's a totally different person, and um, and uh, and she's from Long Island. She's from the same from the same uh, one town over where I grew up, so we had the same kind of frame of reference and drank water from the same well. So the communication was uh, was pretty easy with her, and just just to be there in that space with her is like she 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 really just exudes. Your game gets really good whether you like it or not. You know when you play tennis or you play golf with a better player, you get elevated. Um, she has that that kind of gift. She's got that. That, that Tom Brady kind of, uh, I'm going to make you a better receiver. You know, she, <laughs> she has that kind of energy about her. You're like Dion Branch or one of the many uh, carousel of receivers that come through. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. I, I want to be Randy Moss. Can I be Ra- Straight cash, homie. Straight cash, homie. <laughs> no, you're more like the Gronk. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but uh, yeah, one more show, and then we'll wrap it up. Uh, Top Gear USA. You took on that version. Had you seen the British British original before doing that one? I have. I was a big fan of the uh, of the English version, and um, so I, I had done another show. Rescue Me was coming to an end. Um, we were we were doing the Rescue Me comedy tour, and uh, we were on a, on a tour bus. Uh, Dennis, um, Lenny, uh, Lenny Clark, uh, the band, and I remember we we're, were going through the night to the next stop. And Dennis goes, you know, what do you guys think about doing one more season with Rescue Me? And then, you know, and then we'll call it quits. And I remember Lenny and I go, no, we don't have Ice Age money. No. So <laughs> he said, he goes, all right, we'll do, we'll do a couple more episodes and then that'll be it. So I got offered, um, I had done another show for History 
uh, about cars because I like cars. And uh, they didn't like the, they didn't pick up the show, but they liked me. And they, they told me they had the rights to Top Gear, which I knew the show. And I said, don't screw it up. It's a great show. And they said, well, we want you to be a part of it. I'm like, well, I don't want to screw it up. It's a great <laughs> show. She goes, well, it's done by the same producers. Why don't you just meet the guys? And I met the guys, and we both, you know, three of us really got along right off the bat. And we, we spoke and said, listen, if we're going to do this, we can't do an imitation of it. And the producer said, no, we don't want you guys to be an imitation. We want you to be who you are in this context. So we, uh, we, started, we started shooting, and we found the show, like, I guess maybe the third or fourth episode when we went to uh, Alaska. And that's where we really found the, uh, the camaraderie that we were looking for. And we did six years and had a great time doing it. So, uh, yeah, that was a great opportunity as well. Absolutely. Well, it just proves you can do pretty much anything. But I'm glad that you're still out there, you know, doing the stand-up tours because, you know, that's the bread and butter. And so, and, and you're hilarious. So thanks so much for, thanks, for, for taking the time to join us here. Um, and also a special shout-out to uh, Mark Stern over at the Tony Kornheiser Show. Um, he, he's the one who helped put this together. So thank you, Mark. And, uh, yeah. yeah, thank you so much, man. Thank you, brother. Talk to you soon. See ya. Thanks so much for listening to Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Our theme music is Scott Buckley's Clarion. Remember to give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time. wanted to take a second to tell you about an app I really enjoy. Living in the D.C. area is great, and Podcast D.C. gathers all of the local shows that I like all in one local app. Health, sports, local news, politics, and so much more. Podcast D.C. is the new local app with hundreds of D.C. area podcasts to choose from. I can earn exciting rewards just for listening and share the podcasts I love instantly. Available in the App Store or in Google Play, listen local with Podcast D.C.